All right, guys. Um, question. Okay, before I begin, uh, we are having, if, you, if you're new here, we go through books of the Bible at Mac Ave, and right now we are going through the book of Genesis. Leon is passing our Bibles, that's why he's walking up and down the aisles. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Um, we are actually in chapter 36 of Genesis, uh, which focuses in on, on Esau's line, which we'll discuss in a moment. Uh, every week I've given sort of the, try to give a brief overview <laughs> Of all of Genesis up to 36, um, I think I'm going to not do that today. Um, I will we'll look at some specific points, uh, but I will start. I just want you to know, like, what's happening right now as, you, as books are going out right now is, is you've had God really begin to show us that we're messed up. Basically, all men are bad. God is good. Uh, he begins, to, he, he makes that point through the fall, and then he shows us that through humanity. What he does in the scriptures is he beelines to a specific family, um, Abraham's family. And then what you get is you get a line of individuals. Uh, when I say a line, you get Abraham has a son. He has Isaac. You know, and Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And so we're on this journey right now where we're looking at what's going on with Jacob and his family. Jacob, as we all know, is a conniving man. Uh, he did a lot of crazy stuff. He stole his brother's birthright. He lied to his dad. He ran from his family because he thought he was going to be killed because he had been such a jerk to his family. When he ran from his family, he ran into the hands of, of other family who were just as conniving as he was. And so then they sort of like battled wit for wit for a while where he robbed Jacob for 20 years of his life so that he can get a few of his daughters. We're talking about Laban being a dad. Jacob gets the girls finally, then Jacob tricks, tricks him, and he gets all the sheep, um, and he becomes very wealthy. Uh, so basically, Jacob is just a mess. Um, but but the, what happens is God begins to show his grace where he meets with Jacob, and he says, Jacob, you're my son. I'm choosing you because I am gracious. In the midst of your evil, Jacob responds. Um, he continues on. We still see pockets of Jacob not really understanding what does it mean to walk with the Lord. And we see this specifically where they move to a place where God had never told Jacob to move. And in doing so, we just begin to see uh, some things unravel. We don't know if it's because of his disobedience, I mean, or just being in a sinful world. But his daughter gets raped. His sons become murderers. He sits back and he's super passive. And then we enter into the story of last week where we begin to see Jacob rekindling his faith, his flame in Christ by God's grace. God, again, pursuing him and saying, hey, I know you're a mess, but you're still my son. You still have this mandate, this move toward what I've called you to be about. Jacob worships the Lord. He leads his family into worshiping the Lord. They build an altar. They begin to honor the Lord. And God begins to show us the beauty of having a lineage by God's grace as he is continually pursuing and showing you himself and how he continues to give he gives us a destiny even when we don't deserve it. At the same time, we see the, uh, the, 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 the things that happen when we are in sin and we see his sons being disqualified and we see basically throughout the lineage, we see Simeon and Levi and Reuben murderers and the guy who's committing incest. We see these guys being disqualified, as it were, to be leaders in their family because of their sinful lifestyles. And basically the text is like, so where is the leadership going to come from? Okay. This is redemptive history. Sounds pretty dismal, sounds kind of sad, but actually we should be smiling right now because all that's saying is that just like God said, 
all men are bad and God is good. And that's the beauty of grace. And that's the, and, and so we get to see a story. And now you being crazy and I'm being crazy makes more sense. And now we don't have to be as scared because we know now we get it. This is why I have to really trust Jesus, because I'm like Jacob. So that's the beauty of the gospel. So that's where we are right now. OK, with that said, I want to ask a question before we read the text. I'm trying to try hit home here. So I want you guys to stick with me here. Hopefully we can all learn some stuff. Um, how do I ask this? So say if you have. Let's talk about decision making. Uh, you have. You get a job. OK. Um, you've been wanting a job. You get a job. How do you know? What are the litmus tests? What are the things you you look at to decide if a decision you make, say with this job, and speak specifically of this job, to know if God is in it, to know if God wanted you to make the decision to to take the job or not. What are what are litmus tests? What are things that what what, what makes you say God is in a decision you make or God is not in a decision you make? Is that a fair question? Do you understand it? Throw them out, y'all. Work environment. Work environment. Okay. Keep throwing them. How do you know if God's in it? Al? Okay, and so, and so business and sin. What does the Bible say? So that you would go to the mentor and say, is this a good decision? So having wise counsel, so having wise counsel. OK, I'm sorry, um, Nicole is saying just wise counsel. So, you, you know, you, you want a job, job pops up before you take the job. I'm assuming you say. I um, say, hey, so here's what I'm thinking. Is this does this make sense? Is this a is this a good job or not? Right. And then they, they, they give you feedback. Wise counsel care. How much money? Can we get some real Christians in the house? <laughs> Everybody, all deep. I'm like, man, they nothing. Given trying to get all the right answers. But first, I pray. How much money? Okay. Okay, so you're happy because you can make a lot of cheese, but then you try to get all you get spiritual and say about because I want to give a lot away. Okay, Matt, and then we're going to go to another question, another answer, question. Yeah. Time commitment. One more, one more. Yes. Did you pray about it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting? It seems to me, can I just be honest? Like, so, so being in the game for a little bit, what I usually see is we will, so someone will have a decision, even a job, and one of the, the litmus tests of them knowing if the job was from the Lord or not is if they do well in it or if they get a raise 
almost like if there is if there's a sense of like worldly success within it, then man, that validates my decision. Look how good I'm doing. Everybody likes me. I just got a raise. Is that fair? I, that's what I usually see in my council with people for like over a decade. Okay. Or God must be in it. This is so. So yeah. So and I, now I know this is all for debate. I'm just throwing it out right now. Kath. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> we don't like to put that up here, though. So, so yeah, the Lord might actually want you to do something. Everybody's like, "Don't write that. Don't write that." How about? No, that's good. So let me let me go to another. Let me go. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So what Kathy was saying is that you know, but the Lord works in mysterious ways. Sometimes it's not so just written on a wall. Sometimes He'll actually do things that actually just. Um, cognitively don't make much sense. It actually might not be a thing that you would gravitate toward. It might be something you might not want to do. Okay? Alright. Um, okay, another, another, another question. So, say you need to, say you, because this happens a lot, and I'm just throwing these out because we try to keep it real, we try to learn this body. You, you know, you're asked to move somewhere, or you, you, you're here in Detroit, someone asked you to be in Detroit. Okay? Um, how do you know the Lord is in you staying in Detroit or not? Ooh. Someone said finding better work. Anyone else to throw them out, guys? I gotta keep going. You keep running, keeps bringing you back. When it feels right, when the Lord speaks to you, he's just trying to start something. When it feels right. Cause he know all that training I've been doing. Really, when the, when the, anyone else? Okay, so so these are the questions. Yes. Okay, when other doors keep closing, can you, can you bring that bring that bring that to bring that to two hundred feet to me? It's like what is that? When, when a door? Give me an example of a door closing. So you try to get out, but the guy just won't let you, right? You try, I'm, I'm getting out of here, right? And the Lord is just, no, 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 I'm going to keep you here. Okay. Hey, for the, um, Matt, Matt, give me a minute. Just to say it's been a massive progression of what your life has been about. It's been Detroit, I'm sorry. Well, I'm just going to say for Betty and I, we've been living in Detroit for six, seven, eight years. Okay. So litmus test could be natural progression, right? Right. The Lord continues to just be guiding you toward a certain aspect, and and you just begin to see, like, wow, this has been happening. This has been happening. You've been trying to live a life of faith. For the sake of time, I'm going to stop there. There's a reason why I'm asking those questions. What we're going to do is we're going to read chapter 36, and then we're going to jump into hopefully some um, not answers, but hopefully it will challenge us in some ways. Okay, guys, you guys ready? You got your Bibles open? Crazy text. Help me out, guys. I mean, it's going to be crazy because there's a lot of names. All right, so give me grace.
This is the account of Esau. So we enter it now. So it's very interesting. We, we go into chapter 36 and we get this sort of like this, this long list of Esau descendants. Okay, and you're asking yourself why. Why, why? So keep that in your mind as we read. This is the account of Esau. That is Edom. Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan, uh, which obviously are not God's people. Okay, so so you automatically already seeing something. Hopefully, you see when we talk a lot about lineage in our body, right? We just talk about that it does matter, right? You see Christians trying to pour into their families Christian principles, and hopefully the Holy Spirit does something, and they become Christians. And then you know, guess what you see? When unbelievers pour unbeliever principles into unbelievers, guess what they become? Unbelievers. God is gracious and He does some things, but 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 it's just funny. There's a sovereignty piece of God doing whatever He wants to do, and at the, at the same time, the Lord shows us all throughout scripture, it matters what you do. Um, Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan, Adah, daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Oholibama, daughter of Anna, and granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite. Also, Basemath, daughter of Ishmael, and sister of Neboth. Ishmael, which is very interesting that, that Esau, whose Isaac's son would marry an Ishmael, Ishmael's daughter, who also is a family of unbelievers. Which is interesting. Who my, my beautiful wife pointed that out to me last night when we were just looking at the word a little bit. Um, Adah bore Eliphaz to Esau. Basemath bore uh, Ruel. And Aholibama bore Jeush. Jeush? Jalam and Korah. And these are all crazy cats. Korah rebellion. You'll see that as we continue to study the Bible. Uh, these were sons of Esau who were born to him in Canaan. Verse 6, Esau took his wives and sons and daughters and all the members of his household as well. I'm sorry, you know, do me a favor. Can you make sure it's popping up? Thanks, Doug. Verse 6, Esau took his wives and sons and daughters and all the members of his household as well as his livestock and all his other animals and all the goods he had acquired in Canaan and moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. So we, it might be that time when we remember when we were studying the scriptures and him and Jacob hook up and he's like, let's go hang out forever. And Jacob say, actually, love you. I'm glad we've reconciled, but I'm going to move on to do my thing. You go move on and do your thing. I wonder if that was a time where he's recording this right now. And also, if you remember, they're both rich. Okay. So, so basically, they couldn't live together, not just because Jacob wanted to get away and he wanted to do the whole Christian thing, but also because they just had too much stuff. They both were just balling too hard, right? And so he's like, I got too much money to be living near you. So that's basically what's going on here. And in verse 7, he says, their possessions were too great for them to remain together. You see that? I didn't make it up. The land where they were staying could not support them both because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. Verse 9, this is the account of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. As we continue to go through the scriptures together, family, we're going to see some stuff about the Edomites. The Edomites actually will be beating up the Israelites um, here and there in the scriptures. And actually God is going to kill the Edomites because he actually uses the Edomites to chastise the Israelites because they're being unfaithful. But then he says, I'm going to now beat you up and kill you, Edomites, because you don't touch my people. Isn't that messed up? So that's what the Lord does. Verse 10. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife, Adah, and Ruel, the son of Esau's wife, Basemath. The sons of Eliphaz, Timon, Omar, Zephel, uh, Gatam, and Kanaz. Esau's daughter, Eliphaz, also had a concubine named Timnah who bore, who bore him Amalek. These were grandsons of Esau's wife, Adah. The sons of Ruel, Neav, Zerah, Shema, and Mizah. These were grandsons of Esau's wife, Basemath. Verse 14, the sons of Esau's wife, Oholibama, daughter of Anna and granddaughter of Zimbian, whom she bore to Esau. Uh, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. 
These were the chiefs among Esau's descendants. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau. Let me pause here. Notice chiefs. We're going to see kings. It's very interesting. These guys are already making chiefs. They're already they're, they're already building governmental structures. These are these are a bunch of unbelievers, right? Notice, I mean, when does Israelite get a first get the first king? It's like in First Samuel. <laughs> OK, these guys already got kings. They are because 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 naturally, when you just when you just when you're just immersed in sin and there's actually no absolute leading, your goal is going to be have a hierarchy context and to have power brokers and to have these rules and, and regulations. Right. And so that's why even God says, I'm really sad that you want a king Israel because I'm actually your king. But because you're begging for one, I'll give you one anyway. and It's going to mess you all up. So these guys started that from day three in Genesis. They already got kings, they got governments, they got structures, you know what I'm saying? They haven't voted. They're like, hey, I'm ruling, you're not. The have and have nots already happening. They're building culture. Which is, you know, it's funny. I mean, we Christians, we, yeah, <clears throat> we're always, we're always a little step behind sometimes with unbelievers in bad ways, especially in like Christian hip hop. But, um, I'm sorry. Okay, where was I? Where verse I'm at? All right, um, the son, verse, verse 15, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, chiefs, Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amimelech, Amalek. These were the chiefs descendants from Eliphaz and Edom. They were grandsons of Adah. The sons of Esau's sons, Ruel. Uh, you have chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shema, and Mizah. These were the chiefs descendants from Ruel and Edom. They were grandsons of Esau's wife, Basemath. Verse 18, the sons of Esau's wife, Aholibama, chief Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These were the chief descendant, descendant from Esau's wife, Aholibama, daughter of Anah. These were the sons of Esau, that is, Edom, and these were their chiefs. Verse 29, verse 20, I'm sorry. These were the sons of Seir, the Horite, who were living in the region. You have Lotan, Shobal, Zibian, Ana, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These sons of Seir and Edom were Horite chiefs. The sons of Lotan, you have Hori and Homam, Timnah and Lotan's sister. The sons of Shobal, you have Alvan, um, Menahath, Ebel, Shephoth, and Onam. The sons of Zebian, Ai, Aya, and Ana. This is the Ana who discovered the hot springs in the desert while he was grazing uh, the donkeys of his father Zebian. We're like, wow, we always wondered who discovered the springs. <laughs> Praise the Lord for answered prayer. So if you came here today, I don't know who discovered the springs. Verse 24. Verse 25. The children of Na'ana, Dishan, and Aholibama, daughter of Anah, the sons of Dishon, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Karen, the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavan and Achan, the sons of Dishan, Uz and Aran. These were the Horite chiefs, guys. Lotan, Shobal, Zibian, Ana, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These were the Horite chiefs according to their divisions in the land of Seir. The rulers of Edom, here we go. Verse 31, it says, These were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. Notice he puts that in there. For any other king, they had kings already. Bela's son of Beror became king of Edom. His city was named Danabah. When Bela died, Joab's son of uh, Zerah from Boaz, I'm sorry, Bozrah, succeeded him as king. When Joab, when Jobab died, Jobab died, Hisham from the land of the Temanites succeeded him as a king. When Hisham died, Hadad, son of Bidad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king. His city was named Avith. 
When Hadad died, Simla from Mashrakah succeeded him as king. When Shimla died, Sheol from Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. When Sheol died, Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, succeeded him as king. When Baal Hanan died, son of Akbor died, Hadad succeeded him as king. His city was named Paul, and his wife's name was Mehetabel, daughter of Matri, the daughter of Mizahab. Verse 40, these were the chiefs descendants from Esau by name, according to their clans and regions. Timnah, Alva, Jetheth, Aholibama, Elah, Penan, um, Kanaz, Timan, Mibzar, Magdil, and Iram. These were the chiefs of Edom, according to their settlements in the land they occupied. This was Esau, the father of the Edomites. So this is... Uh, so, now, we said we're going to be committed to going through the whole Bible, right? Even the long name list. So, here's, so, you, so the question you ask yourself, I can probably take it from him, guys. When you, so the question you ask yourself is, why is that written there, right? Why, why all those names? I want to first propose to you the first big reason, and there's a great... I don't have the time to... To totally prove it, but there's something that's going on. Think about it. So you have Jacob, who gets all the time in the scriptures. You get his lineage. You get his story. Uh, and then it's almost now what's going to happen is we're going to move on toward Joseph. And we're going to sort of beeline even more to some of his kids. But before that, he pauses and says, oh, by the way, let me show you what's going on with Esau. And it's almost in a sense where. He's trying to show you that God is saying that, okay, I'm focused on my people, but let's be clear that I know what's going on everywhere. And let me just give you a clear picture of what's going on with this unbelieving group. Okay. And so he's, and, and, and now this is humbling at the same time, because you got, you see this in Revelation. Um, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. The sad reality is almost like God is saying, look, I'm just going to give you a cursory understanding of these guys. Because my, my real focus almost at, at some level, like when the unbeliever just sort of disbands me and doesn't really give a rip about me and does their own thing. Well, I'm kind of I give my grace, but I'm kind of the same way. My focus is actually on those who actually give a rip about me. And I actually can prove that. I know that's kind of like harsh, but I didn't make it up. That's what the Lord kind of even provides and shows throughout scripture. Um, so that's one of the biggies. Uh, what I want to say here, though, is did Esau and his family have a chance to become believers is a question. OK, because you might think, well, you know, poor Esau, he, you know, what's up with Esau? Why, why does he have to be the one where it says in the scriptures in Romans 9, you know, Jacob, I love, but Esau, I hate it. That's what the scriptures say. OK, well, I just want to look at the scripture uh, verse real quick and just give you some thoughts on what on how the Lord views um, our responsibility toward him. Look at what the Lord says about us as people. This is in Romans 8, verses 18 through 24. It says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So there's truth out here. And then we as wicked men, we suppress that truth. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God had made it has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So the scriptures are saying there's something about 
that God has revealed all things to people. So what's the problem? Why aren't people just flocking to Jesus? For although, verse 21, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, the scriptures say. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies of one another. So the scriptures are saying there's a sense of like man. Is, so it seems like the Bible isn't saying that, you know, God, God kind of just reveals himself to man. And man says, oh, Lord, like, I want to see more of you. Will you only just show me more of yourself? But it seems like the scriptures are saying is that God has made things plain. And then we just say, forget you, God. And basically, people don't give a rip about God. And, and that's the thing that we can't, we can't, I mean, it's hard for us to really grapple with. Is the reality that apart from God opening your heart and allowing you to even want to enjoy and be here and to talk about Jesus, your natural inclination and my natural inclination is to not care about God at all and to want to worship ourselves. And what happens, and this is, this, is the, and this is how gracious God is, what happens, though, is there's a couple of things. God can be gracious, and in the midst of your heart and heart, he can say, I still want to, to help you see that how silly you are in your choices. Or what happens if you continue to live in that folly, the Bible says what he does is he just, it's not that he possesses you, he gives you over to your desires. It's almost like God is being gracious for, for you not to jump over the ledge and you keep trying to climb. You keep trying to climb. You keep try- And he says, you know what? Do what you want to do. Go worship that thing. Go, go do, go, go give yourself AIDS and be promiscuous. You know what? Go, 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 go do what you think you need to do. You be God. It says they changed the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than their creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for a natural one. So we're talking about even the sense of homosexuality. People now, you know, he's like, you know, you think you want this? You know, I'm being gracious, but you know what? Here, okay. You want to be God. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations for, with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received themselves in themselves a due penalty for the perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. The point, family, that the scriptures are trying to make to us, trying to humble us um, in, in, a, in a myriad of ways and helping us see. Let's just, make, let's just set the record straight. It wasn't that Esau did not have a chance to know God. It was that Esau did not want to know God. Another uh, more, more scripture for the second time, we're going to continue on. This is verses 29 through 32. What I want to talk about, though, is, is even though we're going to get back to the question I asked earlier, is this reality of, of grace? OK, guys, I want to explain something real quick. Uh, there is this, there's two aspects of grace that the Bible talks about, because the question then is, look at look at what happens. So he's not a Christian, but he has a huge lineage. OK, he has a ton of kids, which in that day meant you were blessed. OK, and he's rich. He is he is he's he's filthy rich. He has a ton of kids. He's doing OK. He has a ton. He has a bunch of wives. You saw those wives in that, in that story. Right. 
He's doing all of this stuff. So how is he blessed? If he's an enemy of God, God says in the scriptures that Jacob I love, Esau I hate it, but he has all this stuff. Well, how is he blessed? What's going on there? It's an issue of what the Bible calls common grace. Or I would propose a theological grid of common grace. Actually, common grace isn't in the Bible, but the, the theological premise is in the Bible. And that is the grace of God that is common to all humankind. It is common because the benefits are experienced uh, by the whole human race, I would say, or experienced by the whole human race without distinction between one person or another, believers or unbelievers. Don't miss this, guys, because we're trying. I want to make a point here. Okay, so I'm trying to build a case here from the scriptures. Matthew five says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. You see that? Here's what God is saying. God is gracious to all of us. And he's saying that anything you get apart from hell is grace. Think about it. God creates us perfect. He creates us with this value, this purpose, and this worth. We then have the audacity to sin against God and say, I want to be my own God. I don't need you. God is perfect, holy, and just. God had every right at that point to totally destroy you and every other baby that was born afterwards. Because now we were tainted with sin. God hates sin. I'll just destroy sinful things. Fair? God does not do that. God still allows us to be born and to still live life and enjoy his creation. Even when we're sticking our finger up at God and saying, I don't care about you. So the Bible calls that common grace. Now, guess what? The rain falls. You know, what happens? It's not like, you know, it's summertime, it's spring, and I'm a Christian. And so I'm sitting there and the sun's on me and my crops are like popping up. And then the unbeliever next door is always thundering, you know, and like there's a big hailstorm around his house. And, you know, windows getting broke out because, you know, there's a tornado Tuesday. And I'm like, man, you had a tornado, dog, right next door. Praise the Lord, I'm a Christian. Like, that ain't, that's not happening. Right? Right? We all get bad weather. And then we all get good weather. We all get an opportunity to eat. Poor people are Christians and unbelievers. Rich people are Christians and unbelievers. Right? You got people who have all kinds of resources and they totally hate God. You have people who never have a, a cold and they, 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 they despise Jesus. They're healthy. They live to their 118. You have, you have unbelievers whose kids never die, whose kids don't have any health ailments. Why is that? You have unbelievers who, don't, who, who go through their whole life and not a ton of hardship. Why is that? They don't like you. Some of you that sitting here going, I know, E. I mean, I'm trying to be faithful. I have this urge to want to go have sex with him. And I'm choosing not to for the sake of the gospel. And I'm trying to live this, this life that's honoring the Lord. And I'm trying to yield to the spirit. And every time and I do this and then this happens to me and I get this guy who, you know, I can't pay this bill and all these, this drama. Why is this stuff happening to me and I'm trying to live right? And the unbeliever who's robbing God comes in maybe once or twice a year to church, tips God $5, $15, $50, goes on, do his, does his own thing, builds his own kingdom, and he's just doing great. 
you know, Brad Pitt sitting at the Golden Globe sipping, you know, Monet, you know, doing this thing. And you're like, what's up with this? Why can't I be at the Golden Globes? Common grace. Common grace. See, see, the, the author in chapter 36, he gives that long list because he's reminding the Israelites, God's people, that you see your journey. You see how Jacob's wife died in childbearing. You see how his daughter was raped. You see all this stuff that's happened to him. And look at Esau. Not much drama. Not much drama recorded. What's up? Common grace. But here's the thing. Don't miss this. Um, I heard a, a pastor say once, I thought it was a really good statement. It's a very good thing, packed theologically. He said, look, for the unbeliever, this is the closest they'll ever get to heaven. And guess what? For you, the believer, this is the closest you'll ever get to hell. Right here. This is the closest. This is as bad as it gets for us. If you love Jesus, it's only up from here. And if you're walking around and despising God, if you think you're fooling God right now, you yeah, I do my thing, but I, I know I'm on God, but I act like I'm a believer. You know, I try and I try and play the fifth as if God can be mocked. The scriptures say, because He can't is the point. Or if you're just like, I don't even give a rip about Jesus. I, she made me come here. The Bible is just being very clear. It's the closest you're going to get. I've been gracious to you. I'm gracious to even my enemies, the Bible says. That's what God is saying right now. That common grace, I'll hook you up now because I'm that cool. I'll bless you. Even though you totally speak against me, despise me, don't obey me, I'm still gracious. Anything outside of hell is grace. The Bible says here, look at this. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. See that? It's never him like kicking cats. It's like, you wanted to be sinful. I just let you do it. See, you don't sin because you're so good and you don't want to sin. You don't sin because God is gracious not to let you sin. Continual in the Bible is a sense of you want to. We're prone to wander. And then God holds you. That's what that's what John 10 is about. The shepherd holding his people. Look at this. And he, he says, but yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness. This is this is um, the guys in the middle. Uh, they, they're sharing a gospel uh, to these to these Greeks. And they're just trying to tell them, like, you like you serving these false gods. He says he's shown kindness by giving you rain. Excuse me for that. Giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. He's talking to a bunch of people who don't understand the reality of the living God. He's saying God did that. God is God has given you common grace. Why do I keep harping on common grace? Let's look at saving grace, okay? Saving grace, so you have common grace and saving grace. Saving grace is the grace by which God redeems, sanctifies, and glorifies his people. Unlike common grace, don't miss this, which is universally given, special grace is bestowed only on those who God elects to eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Famous verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what saving grace is, so common grace is you just being human. And God's saying, I'll hook everybody up. You know, I'll let you, 
I'll let you party right now a little bit. I'll let you enjoy my creation, even though I can just destroy you because of sin. And in saving grace, is God saying, I'm going to allow you to actually be my son and daughter. I'm going to let you actually respond to the common grace <laughs> and, and be thankful. And thankful, as it were, reveals itself when you say, thank you, Jesus, and you submit to the Lordship of Christ. I bring this up, guys. So you, you get that? Yeah, I'll put them online if you're trying to write. Yeah, we'll do that. Yes. Thanks, sis. Sorry. Yeah, just, just listen, because I want to have a dialogue here. Because I want to see, see how this helps us minister in our community. So, realization of grace. I want to say what it does. When we, when we get this, what it does, it allows us. To, and how does it fit in Genesis 36? Because what he's showing you there is he's showing you a big picture of common grace. He's showing you a picture of, these, of, this, of this lineage who's saying, you know what? They're doing their thing. Don't really give a rip about me. I still know what's going on with them, though. But guess what? I'm really focusing on this other family. But I just want you to know I know what's up. That's what the author's doing right there. I, I see him. But I'm telling you all about Joseph and Jacob because they're about redemptive history. These guys are doing their own thing and I'll deal with them. So you don't want to be in that camp. You don't want to be in a camp where God don't deal with you. I don't want to be in a deal with you camp. Look, he says here. What it does, realization of grace, it battles against ungratefulness. See, see, if, if, even if you're an unbeliever today, but I want to focus on the believers, like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be ungrateful. Because anything apart from hell is grace. You know, you go, well, man, I, but, you know, I don't have, I don't got enough money for light bulbs in this room and that room. Well, it beats hell. You could go to hell. You know, I don't have enough money to take my wife to the best restaurants. I can't. I mean, I want to have this nice car. Well, it's better than hell. Well, well, man, but I'm supposed to be this person. I'm supposed to be doing these things. And what about me having my, my husband? And what about me getting a wife? And, well, you're not in hell. It should, it should help us. To cultivate a heart of gratefulness. To be like, wow, Lord, I'm experiencing grace. And guys, if you are a believer, again, this is, this is as worse as it gets. This is, we should have gratefulness because we have Jesus. Because now it's like, okay, I don't have this and that. But man, God has revealed himself. He's given me the most special gift in all created and uncreated things. He's given me more than any of those things I'm desiring and lusting for. And then what it, what it, what it should do in our life, guys, and some of you guys do this, do this better than others. I think some of you guys are really good at this. It helps you not have the Christian-non-Christian divide. What I mean by that is automatically saying this is a Christian thing and this is a non-Christian thing. I think that's theologically immature. You read the scriptures, there's not a lot of Christianness and non-Christianness. Everything is the Lord's, okay? And you can use something in, in a God-honoring way, or you can prostitute it and use it in a way that's demonic. Everything is God's, okay? Everything. It's just how you use it and what you do with it. So it shouldn't be a Christian divide. 
you should be going through everything and saying, this is all the Lord's. So now the question is, do I do this way? Do I do this thing based on kingdom? Is it on king? Is it about kingdom? Yeah. So, you know, music. Or, okay, in our community, you know, one thing that I'm, you know, I've been out the game a little bit, grew up in the hood, broke, you know, the whole nine, then got out, got some education, got all yuppity. The Lord brought me back to the hood. You know what I'm saying? So I've been out the game, so I'm like figuring it out again, you know what I'm saying? Get my, get my hood right, you know, I'm, I'm getting crazier, you know. And one thing, I came back, I'm like, whoa, you know, because I was in it, so it was cool. I mean, I was watching Freddy Cougar and Jason and Michael Myers when I was like eight and nine, you know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously. And so I'm all messed up, right? I'm like, ah! So, now the thing is, it's totally accepted and celebrated for Christian people to go and celebrate horror movies. To go to watch Saw and Freddy Krueger. Movie that, movies that where the, 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 the point of the movie is to kill and destroy people. Okay? Mutilate them, rape them, you figure it out, and do it in really creative ways so you can sell more tickets. Okay? That's the point. Can we, can, I mean, now, movies are the Lord's. Okay? You can watch whatever you want to watch, but the Bible says in Corinthians, even though all things are lawful, all things are expedient. Which means, just because you can do all things, don't mean all things are good to do. So, we sit with people, and we, you know, we talk with people in our hood who love the Lord, and they're like, oh yeah, I drove my son to go see this horror movie. And I drove, I went to the, and we look at the cats like, okay, how do we give grace? So we're like, you know, you got to ask yourself, and this is where it gets crazy. The one word that you will hear us saying here, until you just run out of the room because you're so mad, is kingdom. The question you got to ask yourself is, do you go to that movie and does it help you be about kingdom? And if you can say, yeah, then enjoy Freddy Krueger. I can't. I think that's an example. Movies. Or, how about another one? Can I, can, can I keep prying into people's lives real quick? All right. How about in our hood, um, the way we talk about our kids in the hood? So, so the normal thing, I grew up like this too, we say, hey, gee, how's your little baby? Don't you like little, how's the job, man? He bad. Oh. Oh. So, tell you how to describe your newborn baby who's maybe six months, you know, whatever, a year or two, and the way you typecast your baby is bad. Huh. Okay, we want our babies to enjoy the Lord, to experience the gospel, to realize that their identity is in Christ, not in themselves, to realize they're created with value, purpose, and worth, to know that God is good in them. That there's a good bad split, that they do some bad things, and they're and but they're they're not just bad. Seems like God describes a story with God loves. Hmm. 
And we think that doesn't affect how we talk to our kids. And we think it doesn't affect how the kids view themselves when they grow up. And this is normal in culture. This is absolutely accepted. This is, this is how we talk. He bad, he spoiled. Okay, Upley Mobile. So there's a couple. How about Upley Mobile people? So here, a lot of you guys are Upley Mobile, which means you have options. I don't know what your bank account is, but you got options. You don't have to do and be, which means you are rich. Okay? A lot of us in here are very wealthy because we have options. Um, I think we, we, we did in the beginning. Where, where are you going to live? Right? So, where are you going to live, right? That's the biggie. Where are you going to live? Or, you know, there's a myriad of ways and, and things you can think through that question. Okay, I think the fear for me is we're not just honest with the journey. I'm okay. I'm I'm okay with with a person that's saying Detroit's a spot, man. I don't I don't want to be here. Now, the reason why we won't say that because if we do say that, then you got a Christian community who's going to try to point you into some truth. So what Detroit's file? Because here's what the thing is. You become a Christian, and here's what our life is. Our mode of operation at some level is like we're a people who are always on a rescue mission. That's your role now. Don't you, let me get all teary out. Don't you get that? that you become a Christian, your, your, your disposition is always rescue mode. It's always rescue mode. It's not about you anymore. So you can live anywhere. You can live anywhere you want to. You can leave Detroit. But please let it be about kingdom. It should be about kingdom. Hope those are some helpful examples. So how do we make or measure our decisions? So you look in chapter 36, and what he's doing, he gives us a very crazy, boring list of names, just to remind us that, yeah, I, here's what's going on with those guys. They're totally like, a, they're like a blip off the screen, kind of. We're, but, but man, God is doing a work in redemptive history, but we're not, we're not forgetting about these guys. And guess what? God has been gracious to them. He doesn't say, oh, you don't love me? Kill all y'all. I'm let you live. I'm blessing you. You're getting food. You're rich. I'm not just blessing you, letting you. I'm not just giving you common grace. I'm giving you common grace, right? I mean, they balling, right? I mean, they got camels and sheep. You know what I'm saying? Like just, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just doing it, rings in the ear. You know, just 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 hitting it, just boom. You know, so you know, you know what I'm saying? Macked out tents. So, so he he and then so what he's showing us always the question we have to ask ourselves as believers when you look at that passage well how does it apply to me it does apply to you because you see kind of, you see the grace that God has bestowed on them and then think about the grace that God has bestowed upon you and and the reality is that we can distort God's grace because we take His unmerited favor and then we spit in His face and so I just want us to be asking a healthy question. 
How do we make and measure our decisions based on outcome or based on kingdom? See, we can make decisions and we can say, well, I should, you know, we do so. We do, uh, I see this a lot. So I would counsel somebody and God will be gracious to them. And they'll say, man, you know, I know I started dating her. She was a non-believer, but man, God was in it because she became a Christian and now we're together. See, praise the Lord. I'm going, God was gracious. But that, that, that's the litmus test is not, oh, see, happy outcome. Because the story could have been very different, right? She never became a Christian. I got mad. She started cheating on me. Now she won't have. And now what? Who knows what the story could have been? Can be outcome. Your decision can be based on what you think the outcome is going to be. Based on kingdom. How does this affect the Lord's kingdom? How does this expand his kingdom? And I tell you guys, usually when people make decisions like this, and we don't want to be, and we, and we know we love God, because we love the Lord. Everybody here, you guys are unbelievable people. We love Jesus by God's grace. You want to make these decisions. Usually when we got to make these hard decisions, what happens, and be careful of this, is you isolate yourself. Because you don't want to be around people who are going to challenge you to be about kingdom. I do it too. Okay, I almost did it a month ago. And then Sarah was like, can you talk to any of the guys about that? Just real kind. See, she's cool. She knows I'm, I'm leading a family, but she knows I make some stupid decisions. And she, she does her helpmate thing, you know, and she comes alongside. She sells it, you know. She's like, hey, you know. I ain't trying to usurp authority or nothing. I'm just saying. Did you talk to anybody else about this? And I was like, no. <laughs> so, so, uh, but I did talk to some people after she told me to, and the Lord actually guided me to a decision that I knew I needed to make, but I didn't want to make it because it wasn't about kingdom. That decision would have been about me. So, um, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. You look at those verses, just a list of names. But again, I want to encourage you. It's not God wants you to be thinking about something, family. You think about the difference between common grace and saving grace. And the beauty of us as believers, we get to have common grace and saving grace. But notice this. Are you thankful for common grace? See, the thing what happens a lot about a lot in this community, guys, here's what, here's what happens. You, you're, you're doing a corner store. You're hanging out with people. Um, you, you're dealing with religious folks. And it's the same, you know, you'll hear all the time. Hey, so... Hey, do you do you know Jesus? Do you know anything about the gospel? Um, or no, do you do you tell me about your relationship with God? Oh, he's my everything. He wakes me up in the morning. You know, I, I wouldn't be breathing without the Lord. OK, that's true. But that's common grace. I mean, people who absolutely despise God can say that you ain't saying nothing to me. Just because God woke you up don't mean you have favor. Doesn't mean you know God. Acts 14, we just looked at. He said he already given, he, he gives his enemies food. He gives his enemies clothes and shoes and lets you breathe. While I appreciate that you are affirming the goodness of God, that he woke you up, please don't stay safe in common grace. Because you'll still have common grace and go to hell. 
common grace doesn't get you Jesus. That just reminds you you're human and that God is good and that you need Jesus. Common grace is an indictment that you better know Christ. Do you hear me? That's all it does. It tells on you. You'd rather be stupid and not say that. When you say, oh, God woke me up and you better, well, do you know Jesus? Because you know that he woke you up. You're going to have to tell Jesus that you knew he woke you up and you didn't worship him. These act ignorant. I don't know who woke me up. I don't know what is, how did it all happen? You have an excuse. You know what I'm saying? Come, thankful for coming and saving grace. Next time you're a corner store, people say that stuff. Don't be pulled, scared by that. Say, man, so do you know anything? Have you ever heard of common versus saving grace? Can I just take a risk here? What you're talking about is actually common grace. He does that to people he's going to destroy. Guys, here's the thing. At the end of the day, God does not want you and me. And hear me here, guys. God does not want you and me to make our decisions based on our outcome. He doesn't want us to make our decisions based on selfishness. Because, see, those things don't matter. See, it doesn't, see, you can disciple here well, and your disciples can leave you. You can love your wife well, and she can never respond to you. Right? You can do all the good. You can do the things well, and you can go, well, but this doesn't have so me. I'm not doing it well, right? You, you, you can find yourself running around, and if you if you're being manipulated by the outcome, you won't be kingdom. We will build this church differently. We will we will be in discipleship. We will be doing everything differently if it was about outcome. Do you know how many people I have had to graciously tell, love you to death? You get what the vision's about. You don't want to be about it, so we're going to send you to this church. You have no clue how many people have wanted to come and serve here and we have told them they can't because you don't want to celebrate this community and we are committed to putting resources in this community. If it was, and, and then I get, and then the pastor's like, well, you know, Eric, well, I know numbers aren't a big deal, but numbers really are a big deal because if you were growing, and, you, and it's like, no, 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 not if you're kingdom. Because we could be proclaiming the gospel clearly for years and years. And I'm looking at Christian here. You could be faithfully being a director of Mac Lent and people don't even come. And the question is, you guys say in your heart, is the Lord pleased? And it seems to me the litmus test is not what happens. It's not the outcome. The litmus test in life, and what the Lord wants to show us, is faithfulness. Is that you and I are men and women who are faithful. That we can say, you know what? Yeah, I don't know how the outcome happens, but guess what? I'm trying to love my wife. I'm trying to be faithful to guys that I'm pouring my life into. I'm trying to figure out how to live in a rhythm that honors the Lord. I'm trying to share my faith. I'm trying to do all this, not motivated by what I can do, but I'm trying to figure out what grace is and how do I live a life motivated by grace. And I'm just doing this and I'm doing this until the day I die. And one day, Jesus will say, you're faithful. The litmus test to all those questions that we ask, I propose to you, isn't any of the outcomes and all these things, but it really is, Lord, did I make a decision based on faith? 
where I want to trust you and I want to I want to admit to you I have these fleshly desires and I'm willing to come clean and I'm going to make a decision based on faith and not what I want and how, fun, how much fun I'm going to have and what looks good and who likes me and all this stuff, but on faith, on the reality of the resurrection. That's, that seems to me to be the litmus test to making decisions, kingdom, in faith. So when you read chapter 36, just remember, you probably never read it again as you laugh. But if when you see when you see the numbers 36 and you flip into some other place, just remember what God is saying. Let's sing to the Lord and then we're going to.